Continuing our discussion from Srimad Bhagavatam, first game of chapter 5. This is the final section of the chapter entitled, entitled Nara's Instructions on Srimad Bhagavatam. And again in this section here, we find Nard is teaching what he has already taught directly in a more abstract way through philosophical discourse to Vyas by way of telling his own story, his life story, if you will, his long life, as we've heard, remembering back to the previous day of Brahma and millions of years ago and how his life in Bhakti began. And through this narrative, which will take us to the end of this chapter and then be continued with Vyasa's inquiries further through the balance of the entire practically sixth chapter. Um, so, yeah, yeah in, in, the, in the narrative and this, uh, the uh, same instructions more or less are given again more readily Friendler, user-friendly kind of a format. Story, life story of Narada. <clears throat> so, we've heard how he uh, came to take birth as son of a maidservant, got a good association. He was able to serve some Vedantists, and they were actually devotees of Krishna. As a result of this, good qualities came in him. They further bestowed mercy upon him. He continues, he says, Uchishtalepan anumodi taddijai Sakritsma bunjai tad apasta kildisha Evam pravitasya vishuddha chetasas Chetasas Tad dharma evat niruchi tadayate I mentioned earlier that uh, the Venerable Vishwanath Chakrabhita has looked at this section, this final section of the fifth chapter, and the various verses, and um, commented on the verses by way of, in, and I should say, in doing so, he finds all the different stages of bhakti that um, have already been elaborated on earlier in the book in chapter 2. So here again, and of course Vishwanathakabhitakura in that section and then in this section has an expanded idea of the stages. There are nine stages beginning with Shraddha and ending with Prema as articulated in two verses in Bhaktivasamitasindavashivarupagasami Vishwana Chakrabhitaka, of course, has written a whole book on those nine by the name Madhurya Kadambini. But here in the Bhagavatam, where in the, previ- in the previous episode, in the second chapter, where these stages were discussed, he elaborated upon the nine stages, I think, to about 14. And so here he finds all 14 again in this section. Uh, there's a way, of course, looking at the 14 that they can collapse into the 9 and, and so on and so forth. But as we've seen thus far in the first two verses, and now here is the third, he uh, had uh, his uh, he had some initial sadhusanga that resulted in some faith. And, of course, begins with faith, but there's Again, in an expanded sense, there's some sadhusanga that creates some kind of good fortune that develops into faith. Puja Pachiramaj used to give the example that if you plant some vegetable, then when 
your seedling is in the ground, you're looking until it comes above the ground, and then you say, oh, it's, it's, the seedling has started. It's true in a sense, but there's also a starting that goes on before it's visible underneath the ground. Hmm? So this is a result of knowing or unknowing, knowingly or unknowingly, associating with sadhus and being touched by bhakti that over time creates this kind of popping above the ground of, of faith and the formal beginning of the path, if you will. So, when they already had Sadhusanga, he got faith, and we've heard that they engaged him in some service out of their kindness, Legend of Kriya, he, the implication is that he, in the context of that, he accepted their shelter. Mm-hmm. So, Shraddha, um, Sadhusanga, um, Bhajana Kriya, and this has all been um, touched on, if you will, in the previous two verses. Here we come to Anartha Nivritti and Nishta and Ruchi. You can see how he's packed a lot into, into this uh, description that Nard is giving of himself here. He says that Uchishta Lepan Onumorita Dijaya, these Dijas, these Dijaya, uh, it means bird. And it means twice born. Dui, twice, ja, born. Because the bird is born twice. First, the egg comes out. That's one birth. And then comes out of the egg. That's another birth. So it's thought. Hmm? So the first birth for us in human life is the seminal birth, the bodily birth. And that's kind of a life in incubation. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of a limited life, uh, a sheltered <laughs> life, if you will. Um, and then there's second birth, twice born, to become um, illumined by diksha, by the imparting of transcendental knowledge. And this is then opens the possibilities for another life altogether, um, an unrestricted life, if you will, even though after initiation, there are so many restrictions, it would seem. <laughs> well, there are rules to the road, and if you follow them, you can drive quickly on the Autobahn. Hmm. Uh, so, hmm. so here they are referred to the sages as a twice-born. The implication is, by their association, I got such, such a birth, such an opportunity. Hmm. Previously, I had a birth, as a Gandharva, hmm? and I was born as the son of the maid servant. Then I was born by the association of the Duijas, and we'll see what kind of life he had, hmm? what kind of life he got. He's going on to describe all this. So he says that hmm, once hmm, Anumodita, with permission, I took some remnants of the, of the uh, food of the sadhus. I asked their permission, and they gave me permission to take some rice that had been stuck on the plate. But they didn't eat one grain of rice. This is kind of the implication. And there was a miraculous effect that came from that, he says. He says, Sakritsma bunje tad apastakilvishai. Having taken that, then kilvishai, all my, all the obstacles to my path, all the obstacles coming from karma. Kilvishai means like sin, so this is in the realm of karma. There are obstacles to our spiritual life that are the result of good karma and bad karma. Vishwana Chakritaka calls them what? Duskritaka and Sukritaka. Dus and Sus. Duskrita means bad, and Sukrita means good, happy. So um, there are then anarthas, false values 
that become obstacles then for my attaining what is really valuable, what is really meaningful, that are a result of karma. This is one of the types of obstacles, and it comes in two flavors, good karma and bad karma. So bad karma may be an obstacle, may get in my way, may hold me back to one extent or another, and good karma may also hold me back. I have things going for me pretty well. Sounds like a good philosophy, but I don't really have a lot of necessity. Hmm? I don't have perhaps the same kind of negative negative impetus driving me as someone might have who has uh, uh, not as uh, good of a karmic situation. So what is good? And what is bad? The Bhagavatam wants to turn this upside down. <laughs> we have a certain way of thinking what is good and what is bad. And therefore, we wonder why why bad things happen to good people. But maybe bad things happen for good reasons, and that's good for people. We can say there's a big, big plan there. So, at any rate, he says here that the results of anarthas coming from the realm of karma, they were eradicated. So, this implies that taking the prasadam, he says this was very powerful. And what it did was, evam prabhita It propelled me into emotional activities um, in a way that was uh, unimpeded. The power of the prashad itself overcame these obstacles, and thus I was able to engage without that impediment with a kind of a determinedness and a kind of a steadiness. We call this nishta. Hmm? And as a result of that, he says, Taddharma Evatma Ruchi Pragayate. I developed Ruchi. I developed a taste for this kind of Dharma. What do we call it? Prema Dharma. Puro Dharma. Throughout here in this early text and throughout the rest of the Bhagavatam, there's a clear distinction being made between what is ordinarily thought of as Dharma, hmm? or let us call it religion, and what the Bhagavatam is talking about. And we can see that although it's talking about a certain religious, socio-religious system, the Varna and Ashram system and so forth, which is complicated and we're a lot of touch with that, the principle, the essential idea is is, um, pertinent to our times where you, now it's it's popular for people to say, um, what do they say? I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Hmm? So, there are these two orientations, if you will, to God. There's the spiritual orientation, and there's the religious orientation. The religious orientation tends to carry a lot of baggage with it, and the Bhagavatam would be the first to agree with that. Yeah, that's got a lot of baggage. It's cumbersome, and how far it takes you, even if you're successful, is not too far by the Bhagavatam's standard. Hmm. Of course, the Bhagavatam also explains that a genuine spiritual orientation as opposed to a religious orientation, it will take us much further hmm, to the destination, will nonetheless make us religious in the sense that it will make us essentially ethically sound and morally uh, stout. I say essentially because morals and ethics and so forth are kind of a moving goalpost, and Krishna says this, in 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 the um, Mahabharata, he makes it clear that oh, some people say just all in the book, just follow the book. And, but he said there are things that happen that aren't in the book, and you have to make determinations with the application of reason and so on and so forth, and, and determine what is ethically the most sound thing to do, the right thing to do. What is dharmic in a moral sense in every. Um, in a situation which implies that in different times and different circumstances it may be there may be some adjustments. In other words, we are advocating an essential spiritual orientation advocates moral principles over moral laws that previously fulfilled principles but might not in a different circumstance. And that inability to make that adjustment and from the embracing of moral laws to the embracing of moral principles, 
is what makes often what makes religion in our time seem unappealing to people because it has all these laws from who knows when that uh, don't seem to have any much application in our uh, present society. Of course, some of them do. <laughs> That's another thing. Um, so at any rate, the idea is that in a really, truly essential religious or spiritual orientation, whatever is good in a religious orientation is also there. And, and, and as a result of, for example, letting my life be ruled by what's favorable for my bhakti, and by avoiding what's not favorable, I will become um, ethically and morally sound and uh, more. So, so a different kind of dharma here, he says, I became attached and I developed it for, and I, well, he says, I developed a taste for dharma. He uses the term Atma-dharma, tad-dharma, evatma, uchi. I developed a taste for atma-dharma. He wants to distinguish here. He says, I developed a taste for bodily dharma, for acquisition, to improve my material situation, either by improving this life and getting more facilities, or getting a a heavenly body that will endure for life of a Brahma or anything like that. Hmm? No, here, this is Atma in a, in, a, in a sense of the self. Hmm? And more so in, in the sense of the Supreme Self. It was mentioned earlier when Parodharma or Prima Dharma was, was defined. This is the big question of the Bhagavatam. The sages, as we may recall, in the first chapter asked a question. And the same question we'll find that Sutta answered is a question that Raj Parikshit asked of Sukadev. And Sutta witnessed that. Therefore, he answered the sages the same way when they asked a similar question. The way Raj Parikshit phrased it, well, he had been cursed to die in seven days, so he wanted to know what should one do at the time of death. It's kind of twofold. What's the best thing to be preoccupied with in life, and particularly at the time of death? This was his question. So the sages in the first chapter, they asked a similar question. So the answer given by Sutta, this is the answer that he heard, really, from Sukadev when the Raj asked this question. And, of course, the answer is bhakti, and bhakti is defined there nicely. The word atma is used there. He, he says, among other things, the best thing to be preoccupied with is that from which the atma, and it may mean either the self or more so the supreme self, becomes satisfied. Satisfying the Supreme Self will satisfy myself because I'm connected with that Supreme Self. This is my source. If the hand agrees to serve the body, then it is certainly in the hand's interest to do so. So when the Atma serves the Paramatma, this is certainly in its interest. So here he uses the word atma in this sense. Atma can mean a number of things. It can mean body, it can mean mind, mean mind, it can mean the soul. It means self. So there is a bodily sense of self, there's a mental sense of self, there's a spiritual sense of self. I'm I'm not the body, I'm something else, I'm consciousness. And there's a a kind of a further bhakti sense of self. There's a, there's a saying in the Upanishads, Tattvamasi. I had uh, written in Aesthetic Vedanta that there are spiritual traditions that are kind of theologically negative. Indeed, the term that's very popular in one such school is Neti, Neti. Not this, not this. 
talking about what you are. You're not this, you're not that. You're not this, you're not that. Excluding everything that can be perceived by the senses and thought of by the mind. Okay, <laughs> that's what I'm not. And that's the definition of what, what you are. Um, so I termed the kind of negative theology. I also made the point that if you're coming from negative numbers to zero, then that zero, while negative, has some positivity nonetheless, some fullness. So the fullness of the Buddha, the fullness of the Shank, of Shankar at zero is superior to the karmic predicament of negative numbers where you're exploiting, taking, and suffering the repercussions and going down and down and down, so to speak. Hmm? But Bhakti proposes something else. So I was interviewed about this some time ago by a follower of a fellow named... Well, he had a lot of different names that he went by. Uh, his, his name used to be, I forget, Jones, I think. The name became Bubba, Bubba Free, Free Jones or Free John. And so, and, uh, what was his name? He went on. Hadi Da, I think, was the last name he had. So one of his prominent... Um, he's passed on. Followers came to interview me and... Uh, I think it was on the basis of aesthetically down to asking me questions. And so he said, well, doesn't Tattvamasi, is that not positive? You are that? I said, well, it depends what that is. <laughs> you are that. And that matter, yes, it is a positive statement, but your translation of it is different than ours. Ours is, you are his. Tat means his also. We belong to him. Hmm? You are his. So you are that, and that is a big can't talk about it <laughs> kind of. You are his, and we've got a lot to say about him. And the more you talk about him, the more you want to be part of him. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Like he says in the Gita, Krishna, for example, I really like the closing verse of the fifth chapter. Probably used to like it also for other reasons. Krishna says, "Bhogdaram jagatapasam sarvaloka maheshvaram." Bhogdaram jagatapasam. He says. All of the sacrifices and austerities that people perform, there's going to be a fruit that comes from that result. It's mine. Okay. He says, Bhukta-adam-tukatapsam And everything, for that matter, whether it's your part of your sacrifice or not, belongs to me. So you're kind of choking now. Okay. All the, the fruits of all my sacrifice belong to somebody else. Everything belongs to somebody else. What's left for me? Hmm? Do I have any standing? In the third line comes Suvidam Sarva Bhutanam. More or less he's saying, and if you accept this, then you're my friend. And so suddenly you become the friend of the person who owns everything, who's the enjoyer of all sacrifice, all, all austerities and so forth. What's left to be had for you then? Hmm? And with no struggle. So the more you hear about him, this is the idea of bhakti. And hearing means hearing from Guru Parampara, so that we understand properly. Hmm? Hearing from someone who has some experience of what it's like, that will be compelling. If I go to the movie and it's just great, and I come and tell you about it, I'm so possessed by, by it, it'll be contagious. There's, there's a contagiousness to bhakti that uh, uh, is passed on by the carrier. These sages were the carriers. He ate the food left by them. They had a disease. <laughs> Bhakti, they had a heart condition. <laughs> hmm? And it was passed on through a grain of rice. Hmm? He caught it just like that. Then hmm? caused him to act differently based on the disease. He engaged himself as they engaged themselves, as he had seen them, he imitated them, their activities, and so forth. And then, and he was free to do so, by the power of the prasad, he was free to do so. And then, as a result of that, what they were all about, what they, the, the Atma Dharma that they were all about, the lifestyle, the, he developed a taste for that, an affinity for that. So here we find, as I said, uh, anartha nivritti, nishta, and ruchi. Hmm? And he says, tad dharma evatma rujik pajayate. Hmm? So, uh, in, in this way, 
Narada describes his good fortune, and here, with some emphasis on the power of prasad. This is a wonderful uh, thing. Um, we hear about the different angas of bhakti, uh, Sriman Babu, Prabhu, has been uh, speaking about them here from Bhaktivasamrita Sindhu, and uh, they have great power. When Rupagoswami brings them up, he often cites an example from one of the other sacred texts of how this happened to somebody. Of course, you might say, it doesn't happen to everybody all the time, but what we're showing is the potential is there for bhakti to act in this way. may depend on a number of different factors, but we think if it happened once to one person, it could happen to me. This is the other. And there's 64 of them, so <laughs> try them all <laughs> repeatedly, something like that. Um, and even when the, the full miracle of it, if you will, doesn't occur, then something will occur. We heard the other day how uh, that one of the angas, we didn't hear it, I don't know if you got this far, but one of the angas is, is the worship of, the, of sacred trees, like the banyan tree like the, the fig tree, they are considered sacred, like the tulsi. Hmm? Shijiva Goswami Prabhupada has commented there that this extends also to include scratching the necks of cows, circumambulating them, feeding them uh, sweet, uh, you know, fodder. Hmm? This, is, this is an anga of bhakti. I mean, this is a spiritual practice. This is a yoga. What a nice... Um, <laughs> methodology hmm? uh, and and we had the experience the professor Michael from the University of San Francisco San Francisco State who, who contacted me a couple months back and said I wanted to touch base with you I've been listening to your lectures for up to three hours a day on Bhagavad Gita and it's really informing my classes I have 400 students a semester, and I'm sharing what I'm getting from you with them, and it's very compelling to me, and I would like to have the opportunity to meet with you at some point, so forth. So we communicated back and forth, and then he's come up to visit Audari, and we, we spent a couple of days. We spent some time together, and I answered his questions and so forth, and Madhumangal said to him, you know, why don't you go and scratch the cow's necks, or something like that, right? They like that. So he went and he scratched their necks. And then he went away happily. Then he wrote about how his powerful, powerful experience was and how different devotees had touched him in so many ways. And he said, and after scratching the necks of the cows, I could not eat meat again. The thought of it completely was revolting to me. So I become a vegetarian and now he's written the brew next week I'll announce my conversion on Facebook to uh, the horror of all of my friends <laughs> at my fate hmm? it's mentioned Chaitanya Sarkamrita that um, this prema dharma the nature of it is such that vayavisha jalahoi bitareanam namai krishna premer adbhuta charita that it's very Interesting because on the outside it looks terrifying, looks like poison. People think, ooh, how could you do that? You're going to live your life like that. But inside it is anandamoy, full of ananda. Hmm? It's like the rose with the thorns around it. Not just anybody can go in and you have to be a little courageous. Hmm? With the help of a good gardener, he can tell you how to pick the roads so the power of Mahaprasad this is celebrated everywhere there's a beautiful example of this in Chaitanya Charitamrita in the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in relation to Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya the Bhattacharya was a very sophisticated person he was the, the kind of the king of logic in India he's listed in the encyclopedia today as the greatest logician of, uh, of India, and um, so this can imagine this was a huge convert convert for a 25-year-old boy, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a 25-year-old lad had taken sannyas in madness, 
and left his hometown in Nadia and uh, by foot went to Puri, Jagannath Puri on the seaside, and there he created a revolution. He stirred the hearts of the people with his chanting and his dancing, the moving of his arms in ecstasy were his weapons hmm, that defeated the people, hmm, whom he then plunged into the ocean of his own tears, hmm, chanting, Krishna, 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 Krishna. The king was taken by this. He was named, uh, nicknamed Gajapati, means king of the elephants. It meant to say, it takes 200 pounds of food a day to feed an elephant, I've been told. So if you can have elephants for your pets, you're pretty powerful. You have some wealth. And he had a very fortified kingdom there. Bengal and uh, and beyond extended um, areas was all ruled by the Muslims, but they couldn't enter into the kingdom of the Raj of Puri, Kajapati Pataparudra. Patap, he was very powerful. And uh, a very stalwart fellow, he melted in the presence of this 25-year-old boy, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he had seen every kind of religious expression because he was the, the king of the city of Jagannath. Jagannath means the, the lord of the universe and many, many, many religious conceptions are facilitated by Jagannath. Even the Buddhists would worship Jagannath with some idea of who he was. Different Vaishnava tradition, the Shankars at Waitan tradition, very, very active there. They have a mop there, one of the four mops there, and they worship Jagannath and so forth. So he facilitates many religious conceptions, as he says in the Gita, Yejatamam, as they approach me, so I reciprocate accordingly. So the king, it's a place of pilgrimage, so the king saw many kinds of people, worshippers coming there. But the Prema Dharma of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, presented typically by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the form of his nonsense kirtan. This was, this was rasa kirtan. Like I said, he would wave his arms and people would be defeated by his beauty. Beauty as he moved and danced and drowned in his tears, the king's heart was completely agitated. Hmm? And he became a devotee. And his leading, his guru, Sarvabhoma, Kashi Vija, his guru, Sarvabhoma, a big logician, very sober, elderly person. He knew the name Downton, he was a logician, so this guy was a heavy, what is he, left brain, Brainer or something, or left brain, something like that, yeah, guy. And um, so he had a meeting, of course, with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu listened to his recitation on Vedanta for seven days without saying anything. And his silence, which is a, a manifestation of his quality of gravity, just started to make Sarvabhoma uncomfortable. You know, I'm talking to you for seven days and you're not going, wow, I'm the, you know, this big Vedantist and logician. You're just sitting there, listen, I can tell you you're paying attention, but what's going on inside of you? He, he started to wonder. And the gravity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu actually created what we call a teachable moment in the teacher, in Sarvabhoma. And finally Mahaprabhu said, well, I've heard you for seven days. Yes, I've understood what you said. If you want me to say something, I will. But basically, I want to say that I think that the real meaning of the Vedanta has been clouded by your imaginary explanations. And so I can say something on it if you like. And then he spoke. Sarvabhama had concluded his, his lesson by explaining a famous verse of the Bhagavatam in, what, seven different ways which was pretty uh, extraordinary feat. And so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in the context of replying, explained the same verse in 64 different ways. And Sarabhoma fainted. 
he, he, he thought this uh, only God could do that. That's incredible. So he was converted by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But a little later, getting to our point, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wanted to test the measure of his conversion, hmm? both with regard to karma and with regard to jnana, which are two other religious preoccupations. Preoccupation with regard to dharma is the karmic preoccupation for religious acquisition, improvement of my material life, God give me bread, and so forth. Religious orientation towards jnana is one towards renunciation and the pursuit of self-realization. There are also the two tracks that, that we the world runs on. The world runs after acquisition of things and the foregoing of things that, after acquiring, have not satisfied me. We call it boga, enjoying, and tiaga, renouncing, renouncing. And then there are two sophisticated systematic paths for pursuing boga, pursuing renunciation in a systematic way, in a religious or spiritual way. So bhakti is different from these two, but the best of both of uh, also follow in bhakti. They, they come within the bhakti. So at any rate, with regard to karma, hmm, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu rose early one morning and came to Sarvabhoma's house bringing the prasad from Jagannath, which is famous all over India and all over the world. He's fed 60, is it 64? 54, 54 times a day. It's the biggest kitchen in Southeast Asia, maybe in the whole world. I mean, there's just, I mean, it's huge, huge. There's hundreds of cooks, hundreds of cooks engaged every day, all day long, cooking for Jagannath. Fifty-six offerings a day he receives. And then that prasad is mercifully distributed widely and even over long distances and people honored and so forth. So Mahaprabhu came bringing some prasad for Saravoma and he woke him up. Wake up! Saravoma, I have some prasad from Lord Jagannath. So Saravoma got up and saw the prasad and honored it. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was very satisfied because why? Previously, Saravoma had some kind of devotion, but his devotion was covered by, bhakti, by, by, by karma and by jnana also. And Rupa Goswami is teaching Gyan Karmadi Anabhitam Anukulena Krishna Rushiranam Bhakti Uttam. Uttam Bhakti, Shuddha Bhakti, pure Bhakti, is Bhakti which is unencumbered by karma or Gyan. In other words, we don't do Bhakti for getting good karma. We don't do Bhakti to get liberation. We do Bhakti for Bhakti's sake give a simple explanation. Hmm? So, another, I, to follow this idea a little further, some people will be concerned that if they don't do the, perform the Dharma, hmm, what's, dis- what's described in the Dharma Shastras, they'll be culpable. Hmm? There'll be bad karma from that. And so they're thinking that if they don't do that, but they do bhakti, there'll be a problem for themselves. Arjuna had a similar question in the sixth chapter of the Gita. He said, well, look, if I forgo my karmic duties, if you will, my religious duties, what if I'm not successful? Then that will come to, to get me. And then, of course, he said, what if I'm not successful in yoga? Krishna said, don't worry, you'll be successful. That's the nature of this thing. You can't go wrong. Hmm? And in the karma mark, you can go wrong. <laughs> Even if you're right, it's all wrong. <laughs> you, know, you know, you really don't get anything. You've wasted your time. You was at the cost of yourself. Even though you acquired and became morally stout and so forth. So what? Was it the cost of knowing yourself? Hmm? Would speak of loving God and being becoming fully self-satisfied, which you have the potential to do in a relationship with Bhagavan. So, point being, what Sarvabhoma, previously, he would not have taken the prasad like that. He would have got up first, he would have washed his hands, performed certain karmic rituals, going to the Dharma Marg and so forth, 
and then it would be all right to take the Jagannath Prashad. This is an example of karma covering the bhakti. Hmm? That's why Krishna says in the Gita, it's very, if, if you study the context of this, it's very bold statement. It says, Forget all that dharmic stuff, all those religious rules you've been following, like go to Mass on Sunday and all that stuff. Forget it all. He said, well, what will happen to me? I will cover for you. Sin and come to me, he says. That will be sin from that perspective. But you don't have to worry about that because you come unto me. And all those gods and goddesses, they're under me too, so that you have no, no nothing to worry about. He says, don't fear, don't worry. Take shelter with me. This is an easy way. And bhakti is so easy. You can scratch in there, a cow. <laughs> Compared to the thousands and thousands of rules in the Dharma Mara, how to sit, how to turn, how to sleep, what direction, what time to eat, what the prayers to say, and it's not, it's just, it's not in the Swami, it's Priya Bhagavatam, the beginning says, God, please free me from all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Just let me love you. Does it have to be so difficult? Hmm? And is there any real love in that anyway? Actually, no. As I said before, the more there are rules, the less there is love. The less there are rules, the more there is love. Hmm? So, Mahaprabhu Shichetanadev was testing him, and when he saw, he just got up and took the Mahaprasad, and he said, Oh, very good. <laughs> He's been converted. This is substantial. Hmm? Uh, later, Mahaprabhu also witnessed that he was his bhakti was not covered by gyan. Also, when when Sarvabhuma himself said, "You know, I've been reading the Bhagavatam when I came across this across this verse in the tenth canto, prayers of Brahma," hmm? and there. Brahma says that uh, if one goes on just tolerating the results of one's past and um, flinchingly serves Bhagavan Sri Krishna, then he becomes she becomes the rightful inheritor of the kingdom of God. Mukti Bhak. It sounds like one word mukti is there. So he had he had an abhorrence now to the word of mukti, which he was preoccupied with previously, as the as the goal. He said, "I don't like this word mukti. I'm changing it to bhakti." Jiveta yo mukti, bhakti Mahaprabhu was very pleased internally that he felt like that, but he said, "You can't change the word in the Bhagavatam, Sarvabhuma." It's interesting because previously Sarvabhoma was told by his 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 uh, brother-in-law Gopinath that this Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, this boy, is is Bhagwan Sri Krishna, and Sarvabhoma said, well, "I'm not a boy like you, so I'm not going to be just blown away by some, but he thinks their friend is God. Okay, can you get a scriptural reference, perhaps? Hmm? Just this kind of reply. So he wanted a very exact, precise." scriptural reference, and, and Gopinath gave different references. He wasn't satisfied with that, and then Gopinath said, anyway, you'll never understand unless you get the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I can understand, because I've got the mercy. So he said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so much for your faith. And of course, then he got the mercy, and then he became like, like Gopinath. And here he's ready to change the word in the Bhagavatam. <laughs> Mahaprabhu said, you can't change it. Think of it like this. Mukti Pade, said Bhagavad it means you will get liberation at the feet of Krishna. That means bhakti, not liberation unto itself, something like that. So, at any rate, Sarvoma demonstrated that his bhakti was unencumbered by karma and jnana. First example with regard to karma, we got it because we're talking about the power of prasad, we went to Jagannath Puri there and and thought about the power of the Jagannath Prashad as a prominent example of, uh, of, of this idea. It's a very beautiful idea also, very pragmatic, because human life, human species like other species, has a bottom line, you can say, and that is self-preservation. When it's all said and done, Self-preservation is the final 
thing. I gotta do that. And that means you gotta eat, basically. So, you know, we eat in order to live. Without eating, there's no living. But the fact of the matter is, at the same time, one way of talking about it is that there is another pressing necessity of human life that's not found in the less complex forms of life. And that is loving. So, we eat to live, but we live to love. That's our reality. And while you might give a Darwinian explanation of why some people do good things, and even at the cost of their own self-preservation, they preserve somebody else, which is they love somebody else, they sacrifice their own existence for another, right? We call it love. They call it maybe some 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 crossover in the wires there. So I think I heard a fellow, um, what's his name? Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, say it's some, you know, malfunction in the hardwiring of the, of the human species that sometimes we voluntarily do things to that cross beyond the preservation of our immediate surrounding and relatives, our immediate clan, tribe, and, and so forth that we're dependent upon to, you know, help a complete stranger. There's some 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 problem with the wiring there, hmm? some misfiring of the neurons that would cause someone to do this. This is his um, very inadequate explanation. The Bhagavatam gives a little bit of a different idea about it. It has a nice word, Dvipadapashu. It said, there's something called a two-legged animal. And it looks like a human, walks like a human, talks like a human, but it's not a human. Because humanity means to do those voluntary acts. You're as human as you love. This is the Bhagavatam's idea. That's not a misfiring. That's real evolution. In as much as evolution conjures up a sense of progress, growth, betterment, development. Hmm? The more people are self-sacrificing and foregoing the necessity, perceived necessity of self-preservation, the more they live. Hmm? And it's a fact. Those are the people that live on, more so in the memories than anyone else, except those who are such animals, hmm? the Hitlers, the Stalins, and so they live on also. Hmm? Does Kamsa really exist? Yeah, of course. <laughs> he took birth as Stalin. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is that what this is the principle that the Bhagavatam is speaking about in the story of Kamsa and so forth. Hmm? These people will live on. The biggest animals in human dress who use their intelligence become become the most ferocious ferocious beasts, hmm? and those, and more so, really, those are the ones you want to forget, but you don't, because you you got to keep a reminder of the fact that there are such people hmm? in this world. But more so, we like to remember, and they will be remembered, those who have sacrificed themselves, poor strangers, so-called. Why? Because they did not see them as strangers. They saw them hmm, as themselves. Gita says about yoga, yoga in the sixth chapter. Hmm. President Clinton cited this verse when he spoke in South Africa about the AIDS crisis. He said, briefly, it's, and the perfect yogi, the highest yogi, is one who sees the sufferings of others as if they were his own. Hmm? Really, the implication is he doesn't see others in the sense that we do. Hmm? Oh, I'm Finnish, and those guys are those, you know, gregarious Americans who are ready to talk to strangers and so forth. <laughs> so, and uh, I'm Italian, and you know, and, and uh, I'm Costa Rican, and whatever, Canadian is maybe the case. Uh, this this kind of differences they don't see. Hmm? 
We don't see our sovereign nation. They see consciousness variously distributed itself as a result of the way it's conducted itself, the consequences that have accrued in all situations, and I'm, we are of the same nature. He doesn't see the others differently. This is the idea. This is this is this is the fulfillment of human life. So this is the necessity then of the humans to love. And what the beauty of this prashad is, this idea, when you take it in terms of its most common um, application or understanding, the food remnants offered to Bhagwan, to the deity in Arshan, and we'll take the remnants. It's an extended idea of religious idea of grace, saying grace, thanking God for the bounty of life. But it's extended in that we think the conception of God is more refined, and so we're making the food for the pleasure of God. Mm-hmm. Could be anything. In the lower sense, it's whatever you like the most, because you'll be able to offer that with the most devotion. We think pizza, wow, that is the, you know, just so great. So I'm going to make that with enthusiasm, offer that, but I really feel it's good. I'll offer that to Bhagavan. So this is a kind of a basic idea, with love, in other words. Because if we say, well, in our religion, we offer food to God, what he likes is, what does he eat? So, he eats love. He eats food that comes from the least possible uh, exploitation, because we have to kill to live. So if we find the least exploitation possible, this then promotes the vegetarian diet, for example. Then we prepare the fruits from there, we offer it to him with devotion. So anyway, what's happening here with this is that you've taken the need to preserve oneself, food, and you've combined that with the real necessity of human life to love. That, that this It's actually coming out. This is the Bhagavatam's idea. It says, Jivo Jivasa Jivanam, that there is a survival of the fittest. One of them being is food for another. Materially speaking, but then it says, but the evolution of the Bhagavatam is a consciousness-driven evolution. It's consciousness top and and downward causation. Hmm? Just like we commonly think that I consciously think of something and then I do it. And the cause begins you know, here. We, we Everybody thinks like that. Everybody acts like that. Some people would like to tell us that it's not really like that. Consciousness comes out from below, from beneath. The, the Bhagavan has a different idea. It's well thought out. So there's a kind of a movement, a kind of an evolution, and it's consciousness-driven. Hmm? And when we get to the human form of life, hmm, then that consciousness that we are is coming out. It's coming above the surface. And what is it about? It's about loving. It's really about its ananda. It's sat, it's chit, and it's ananda. It's ananda's its function, its purpose. Purpose is to love, joy. It exists for that purpose. Hmm? And it's knowing hmm, is for that purpose. It exists and it knows for the purpose of loving. And so, in every human species, and even below the human species, to some extent, in the other primates, lesser developed primates, we find a little bit of this. The more the complexity of the material form, the idea is the more consciousness is coming to the surface. So we find a little bit of voluntary acts amongst maybe some chimpanzees or something like that. Hmm? And we are differentiated that much more from the primates and the whole animal kingdom and so forth by the measure to which, really, the extent to which we love, we give, we sacrifice. Hmm? It really surfaces in human life. And the message of the secret of life is be a sacrificer. Now is your time. Your time has come. You, the self, are now in a position to be aware of what you are after so many species of life. Hmm? And that the more in life, hmm, 
that everyone's pursuing, pursuing is you. You are the more, not the things. Hmm? So by giving up the things, then the more that you are comes to the surface. So this, this, these two necessities, if you will, you know, our animal necessity is to preserve ourselves. We need food. Hmm? Our spiritual necessity that's serving, surfacing, is to love. And this idea of prashad meets these two things beautifully hmm? in a very um, sophisticated, if you will, yogic sense of eating for love. And while I said earlier, you know, you have to kill to live, one only being is food for another, hmm? you should exploit as little as possible and so forth. This prashad idea is meant to take us beyond exploitation altogether, where there are no karmic repercussions for preserving, for meeting the preservation, self-preservation need, eating. No karmic repercussions. Hmm? Such as the power of the prashad, because you've taken the food in a different consciousness, you've grown it, you've prepared it, and you've offered it to Bhagavan for his pleasure, and you're taking the remnants. And what, and so if someone says, well, what happens if one day nothing comes back on the plate? So I've seen you guys take in the plate, and then it comes out and it's full. So we have fine. What if one day it goes in and comes out empty? We'll fast on that day. <laughs> no problem. We're looking for that day. Hmm? Hmm? We could have offered such a pleasing way that he would manifest and make sure we knew I'm eating that. He eats. Hmm? Oh, God. But not everybody can see. So when you can see, then... Hmm? Uh, but there's, there's, this is the real idea of less is more. Hmm? Less is more Buddhist idea, less is more. So, this is the, it's beautiful because it's this meeting of these two points, self-preservation need, the bodily need that we have, the animal need that we have, hmm? and the spiritual need we have, the need to love. Hmm? And it has great power, as Nard is testifying here. Great power. Once he ate a grain of rice, and play with the sadhus with their permission. And all of the karmic impediments to this bhakti went away. So it's not hard for us to invest in that, need as much prashad as we can digest. And hopefully it will happen to us with one bite one day. It's happening, actually. Gradually. Any questions? Yes. You talked about uh, Mahaprabhu and uh, the Sankirta movement, and I've been reading the book, The Life and Times of Lord Chaitanya. And uh, I was wondering, because I was a little bit surprised to read that it said here that it might also be mentioned that the Hare Krishna Mahamantra can actually be expressed in two distinct ways. The most significant and well-known version consists of the names as previously described, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, and so on. The other way of chanting the mantra is elucidated upon in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Haraya Nama Krishna Yaravaya Nama Gopal Govinda Ram Sri Madhusudana. So I was a little surprised because he was, in the way I understood it, saying that these two mantras could be considered like parallel ways of uh, forms of the Mahamantra. He's calling them both the Mahamantra? Uh, he's saying that, that the Mahamantra can be expressed in two distinct ways. Hmm. Well, um, it's possible, and I have to look that up, that somewhere in Chaitanya Charitamrita... Chaitanya Charitamrita or Chaitanya Bhagavad? Mm, here it says that it's in Chaitanya Charitamrita in uh, Maria. Nine. Nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It may be that uh, Krishnas uses the words Mahamantra there. I'd have to look it up. But typically, um, that is not the way they are thought of. They're not thought of as, 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 um, as synonymous. Mm-hmm. Mahaprabhu, of course, has taught that all the, the primary names of God have all the Shakti in them names that address him in terms of his relationship with the, with the Bodhis and in terms of his Leela and so forth, Govinda, Gopal and so on. Um, um, but he 
personally told his disciples through the pen of Vindavandas in uh, Chaitanya Bhagavat to chant Hare Krishna, uh, Mantra. He also told them, or taught, taught them, or taught by example, this other Hari Harai Nama Krishna Yadavai Namaha Gopal Govindaram Sri Madhu Sudhan Giridhari Gopinath Madan Mohan and so forth. Oh, these are just names of Krishna. I guess you could call it a Nam mantra, but the there it's not like the Hare Krishna mantra that's found, for example, in the Upanishads. That's found in the Puranas. Two Puranas mentioned them: the Purana and another one in the brief and the um, what is it? Kali Santran Upanishad mention it as well. There. They're mentioned in the Kali Santarana Punishad, it's mentioned as the remedial uh, measure, the chanting of these uh, 16 names. It's three names, but over 16. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. That's eight. Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Iti Sodasakam Nam Nam, Kalikam Nashan, Nashanam, Sauvedeshu, Dushite, all the Vedas say. That by these sixteen names chanting in Kali Yuga, all the ill effects of Kali Yuga will be overcome. So it is uh, a Nam mantra in a more uh, specific sense. Harihari, Namakrishna, these are names of names of God. You could call it a Nam mantra, I suppose, but um, Hare Krishna mantra is, is, is uh, a little more distinct than that. Um, we do find evidence that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu chanted Hari Harai and Amakrishna and so forth. There, that's true. But this particularly instructed himself disciples to chant, and this we find that the whole Sampradaya is chanting this as a mantra, so to speak, on Japamala, um, which is a form of dhyan, meditation, so they're using it as non-mantra for meditation. But I wouldn't give them the same uh, significance in a, in, a, in a sense. I wouldn't say that they're synonymous um, maha mantras. One is the evidence that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's principal methodology was chant the names of God. There are many names of God, so to speak. The other is Hare Krishna Maha, which is a bit more uh, specific. Indeed, the uh, Jiva Goswami um, I believe there's been a TikTok where others have given commentaries on the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, written tikas on it. They, we don't find them writing commentaries on the, those other names strung together as they were sometimes by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Another question? You know, the Vaishnavas in the Pushti Mahaprabhu chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare 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 that's their main chant. I surrender to Krishna. I surrender to Krishna. Um, that's their main chant. Who chants that? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Krishna. Oh, Gaudiya Vaishnavas do. Yeah. Hmm? Then it's also said to be synonymous. Well, they've just put it together like that. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Radhe Sham, Radhe Sham, Sham Sham, Radhe Radhe. They do that sometimes, I think, and they want to say by that 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 Hare means Radhe, Radha. They want to make that kind of uh, emphasis, but um, there's a case to be made for the idea that the concealment, if you will, of the name of Radha in the vocative Hari, hmm, ostensibly, overtly, overtly, Hari means Krishna, Hari, Ram, and Krishna, They're all in the vocative, oh Hari. Uh, it's a favorite name of Krishna in the Braj. They call him Hari, who stole away our heart. 
O Krishna, O Ram. But there's another way of thinking about Hari as uh, a name for Radha. Hmm? Hari, Hari, Hari Hara. Wow. Hmm? Hara is the Bhagavad Hare as the Hara. Hara, Hari Hara. So Hara means Hari Hara. What is that? Hari Hara. And there's a uh, anyway. So Hara, Hare Hari means Vakrita Hara. That means Radha. Hmm? So it's a in a veiled sense. But there's so that there's those who like to think Radha Sham Radha Sham 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 Radha Radha. But there's a case to be made for concealing the name. It makes it more beautiful. Hmm? The concealment, you know, just a plain old naked lady is not such a big thing. But if you just cover a few parts, then people get excited. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so that's more or less of modern inventions. Nothing necessarily wrong, but sometimes it's some of the mentality that are improving on the Hare Krishna Mahal Mantra. I think that Pujapachita was objected to that idea of it being an improvement. Anything else? Well, Happy New Year. <laughs> and to all of you, I will be resting at midnight, but you're welcome to stay up and chant all night. <laughs> there should be some fireworks in the distance that we might hear. But it's wonderful to be um, issuing in the new year with all of you here at Madhavan. Sri Sri Dabji Gopal Ki Jai, Sri Madhavan Ki Jai, Santara Srimad Bhagavata Ki Jai, Bhagavad Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Bhut Premananda, Vamsa Bhagavad Gita, Vipasini Vyayi Lokja Patitanam Bhavani Vaishnavi Gunamuna Maha, Nantakti Vaishnavi Gunamuna Maha,